Zeus Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Welcome to this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is the Tribune's Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Absolutely fantastic. How about yourself? I am doing well. Not much has changed since you and I have last talked. I mean, it just it's just one thing after another after another this year. Uh, last time we talked to you, the Mizzou-LSU game had just moved from Baton Rouge to Columbia. Missouri won last Saturday. It was five days ago. feels like five weeks ago. Exactly. Uh, it was five days ago when Missouri took down the then number 16 team in the country, 45-41. Sparked a lot of great stuff. It was supposed to be the Vanderbilt game this weekend, but Vanderbilt is in the high 40s of total players, not even scholarship players. So that game has moved to December 12th. There is no game this weekend. And now Florida LSU was also postponed because of COVID tests within the Gators program. And Missouri's next game is supposed to be against Florida. So there's a not a whole lot of speculation going that Missouri might not play again until Halloween. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, leaving the LSU game. And I, I know we'll talk a little bit more about the actual game itself. But the type of momentum that Missouri had rolling into this week and rolling into the game against Vanderbilt, I mean, you know, a month ago, this was supposed to be the get right game for Missouri. And now this was the, uh, you know, a chance to go on a you know two game winning streak heading into the Florida game. It was a huge and pivotal week to see if Missouri could kind of recreate some of the creative offense that they had and they showed against LSU. And then now, you know, with COVID-19 and um, with Florida shutting their program, football program down due to um, positive tests within their program and following the COVID-19 protocol, it seems like, you know, Missouri fans are going to have to wait upwards of two, maybe three weeks before they see their team again. I'm all for hoping that that Florida game happens. I don't think it will at this point. Just just uh, to play a game, you know, you have to be – I think Missouri has been kind of scratching the surface, but they've still – they haven't dropped below 60 yet. They were like at 61 for the LSU game, but they stretched it out. Florida right now I think is a dozen below that. You know, it just it, – it, I, I wish all these players get well, and that's the priority, but just in terms of getting these games, and I'm not sure – and then just just how quickly recovery can happen obviously with contact tracing and those numbers are a little bit unknown but i think a couple of sources including the tampa bay times reported 19 positive tests that's a hard number to get around yeah and it, it was crazy is because this comes a few days after you know florida head coach dan mullen talked about quote unquote packing the swamp uh this weekend in, in advance of their game against lsu and he talked a little bit last week about how it was such an advantage for texas a&m to have a higher capacity for that football game and it's just crazy you know 48 to you know 72 hours later you've got 19 uh, different players and you know according to florida athletic director scott strickland they had 18 scholarship players and three walk-ons test positive for COVID 19 i mean that's absolutely you know bonkers when you kind of think about going from i want more fans than the stands to oh we're shutting the entire football facility down that's one thing that I've just noticed throughout this entire coronavirus era of college sports. You cannot BS through a pandemic, you know, and, and you can't hide. There's no tricks to work to get around a pandemic. If you try and cut corners, it will expose you. And that is what has happened. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of things that can happen when you play football in a pandemic. It just seems like one on top of another on top of another have happened the past two weeks. At the end of the day, you have the most loved and hated professional football franchise that has an outbreak of their own in the Patriots. Nick Saban, we didn't even mention there, exactly. has COVID and that's the most popular and most hated college franchise. Welcome to football in the coronavirus era. And you didn't even mention the Titans um, after their win against Buffalo on Tuesday kind of touting how they came over adversity and how, you know, everyone was talking down on them for their COVID-19 um, you know, issues and that they had in the uh, alleged, uh, I think we can comfortably say that, uh, legal practices that they held throughout that whole entire process and they treated it like it was just adversity and everyone was kind of picking up, picking on them throughout that entire process. I mean, it's truly wild to think that you know in a few weeks the big 10 and the pac-12 want to be a part of this 
you know, football in, you know, fall of 2020. I, I, I mean, that goes back to a different argument of whether the Pac-12 and Big Ten should have even called it off in the first place, which I don't think they should have. That was ridiculous on their part in the first place. But the part of us talking about COVID is not that college football shouldn't be played. It's just everything is on the table in 2020. And that's why this is just a bizarre year that'll be like none other. At the end of the day, these games can still get in. It's just like how much of a business college football is and that business is just being ripped up. At the end of the day, you move a game like Georgia-Florida, which is for all intents and purposes going to be the de facto SEC East title game. And there's a thought that you move that game to Halloween so Missouri-Florida can be put in that uh, November 7th spot because Florida and Missouri have different bye weeks. Just just, it, just in terms of how college football schedules like, I think we got an announcement a couple before the right before the pandemic or some during the pandemic. They're scheduled games for 2020, like 2033, 2032 against North Texas for games are being scheduled. And now we're kind of just scheduling on the fly. Yep. Like those are such different models that it's like, well, welcome to, you know, college football in 2020. And, you know, just it's just insane sometimes just how, you know, this is how it happens so quickly. We didn't even mention Ole Miss, who's had a breakout of their own. And, you know, just it's there's unfortunately probably more to come. And the sad part is with the, the first domino that fell this week in Vanderbilt, they played South Carolina and South Carolina plays Auburn this week. And we haven't heard anything, thank God, from either one of those programs yet. It's just all of these teams are connected in some odd way that we don't know. So is more of this to come? Probably. This is. I'm surprised it took the SEC this long to have kind of this outbreak. I mean, for Major League Baseball, it lasted four days. They got it under control. But for the SEC, we were entering week four, and they finally had their first huge bump in the road here. It happened to be Missouri Vanderbilt, then Florida LSU. And now Nick Saban and Alabama Athletic Director Greg Brin are in quarantine together. So, well, not quarantine together. They are both quarantining separately after getting COVID. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy just kind of piggybacking off that. We didn't even uh, mention that Cincinnati versus Tulsa has been canceled this weekend due to COVID-19. We've said a few times already. We haven't <laughs> even mentioned. That, that's how crazy this is just going. And, you know, it's and it's wild to think that Missouri gets its probably biggest win in the last two years. And then we start the podcast talking about COVID-19 and not really even the game. It's... It is truly wild, and I know that we're we're not really kind of talking about the NBA or the WNBA, but you know, kudos to them for wrapping up each of their seasons in the bubble and doing that without a single positive test. And the same thing with the NHL. I mean, there is a possibility of doing this, and with you know the NFL, MLB, and college football, when there's no bubble, you have to kind of almost expect these type of outbreaks and you know be able to kind of switch the schedule on the fly and continue moving because that's what college football has blatantly said they're going to keep pushing through this. And it's interesting with how, you know, just, you know, we talked to Conzo Martin, and we'll talk about this a little bit coming after the break, but that the mental toll the bubble could take and how he doesn't think that works in the college environment. Well, you kind of unfortunately have two options with the ethical way of doing college, college football and college basketball with the revenue they make for the NCAA. Bubble and the mental toll were probably the better ideal option ideal option for the mental health of college players is no bubble but then you you're at a greater risk to catching covid so that's just kind of what the crux of college sports is right now there's no right answer because every answer is a wrong answer it really feels that way during a pandemic you just can't win you can't as i said earlier you can't bs it so you just have to kind of just deal with it and adjust as best you can uh but one good thing coming out of this week is that um, because there's no game, we're no, doing no game preview. We were actually able to have a special guest not be a beat writer this week. Uh, I caught up with LaDamian Washington earlier today. Uh, here is my conversation with the former Mizzou wide receiver, kind of what he's up to these days and just, you know, seeing, you know, what he gave his thoughts on Coach Drink and he gave, you know, some thoughts about kind of his career ending and what he's up to these days. So without further ado, here's my interview from earlier today with LaDamian Washington. Sports podcast this time is former Mizzou wide receiver LaDamian Washington. How are you doing, LaDamian? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Uh, all good. It's been a hectic week, obviously, on the Mizzou beat, but this is definitely a great opportunity with no game on Saturday to catch up with someone who lives in Columbia, someone who has obviously been involved in the community and is obviously really well liked among you know Mizzou fans. So just kind of give us an update. What are you up to these days? Um, everything is going pretty good. Um, right now, just living in Columbia, continue to give, give back and um, work in the community. Uh, 
Me and GP uh, do a lot of work together. Me and some former teammates, Jarrell Jackson, Michael Agnew, we do a lot of stuff around the community. And uh, it's, Columbia's been very good to me, you know, and I'm just trying to um, pay that back. I was going to ask you about that later on in the interview, so I I I'll get right into it. Obviously, throughout your career, you've you know not only, you, you've said how much you like Columbia, but you've given back. I remember kind of meeting you when, after I moved to Columbia, and you were doing that. I think at the crossing with Coach Pinkle, just giving giving back. Why, why have you made it such a core part of what you want to do in the community, just to give back, especially to the kids of the city too? You know, for me and my life and, you know, my upbringing, you know, being a 15-year-old kid with my both parents and my oldest brother was 19, he was my guardian, in the community that I grew up in, you know, and I always wanted somebody to, like, reach out or somebody that I knew I could depend on to look up to. And so for me, I came to Mizzou, you know, as an 18-year-old boy, and, and I left there a man, and now I return, you know, still a full-grown man. And I think it's my duty to give back. You know, I'm a believer in God, and I think he, uh, everything happens for a reason. He places people exactly where they're supposed to be. Um, I don't think anything happens by chance. It's all meant to be. And I think that's what he meant for me to do is give back, and that's why he's placed me in these tremendous situations and gives me tremendous opportunities to succeed in life and put me on these platforms so I can give back and be a testimony. And you obviously mentioned, uh, you know, Coach Pinkle as well, and he's obviously done a ton with the GP Made Foundation, and the the two API guys, Jarrell and Mike, who have obviously opened the gym and done a lot, and they're both coaching now in the high school game. How has it been just kind of working with the three of them in particular? I mean, obviously, three guys who have stayed in the community and worked in the community. What's your relationship like with all three of them nowadays? Yeah, it's insane. When I came on my visit, you know, um, back in high school, um, Jarrell and Agnew were two of my hosts, and I remember when Jarrell first wanted to move back, and he thought about in API was just a thought. Um, and now to see him succeed in doing great things, uh, Michael Agnew also, um, as he's coaching that told. And Coach Pinkle now, you know, he's stepping away from football, but, you know, now he's doing things that make a, a, another difference in the community. Uh, and he's embraced, you know, Missouri and Columbia uh, just as much as we all have because, you know, Jarrell and Mike are from Texas and Coach Pinkle wasn't originally from Missouri either. He just coached here. So we all came here, you know, and Missouri has embraced us. And so we just want to return that favor and give back. And it's good working alongside guys that I know and guys that I call my brothers. And for Coach Pinkle, you know, he's been nothing but a father figure to me. What's what's life in the pandemic been like for you? I mean, obviously you were playing for the Battle Hawks right before everything kind of shut down. But what's the last, I guess, now seven months been like for you just kind of working out or staying active during a pandemic? Yeah, honestly, I think it's been really good, you know, to think about it. You know, my whole life I've never had weekends off. Um, you know, usually I was playing in, in, in some sort or some kind of league. And so I think now I've enjoyed that time as, as much as possible. All my brothers live in Columbia now, so, you know, we're catching up on family time and, 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 and time missed to where I left to go off to college when they were still in Louisiana. And even after that, you know, this crazy roller coaster I've been all. Um, so it's, it's been easy. I got a few things up my sleeve. Honestly, one thing that I'm doing now that I just haven't spoken on, um, I think a lot of Mizzou fans will love it. Um, I think they will uh, think that it is one of the wonderful things. It's something that I've talked about and tweeted about for years, and I've taken on uh, a huge role. Um, it hasn't been announced. Um, I don't want to be the first to announce it, but I, I'm, I'm fully in that role that I'm in. And I think in due time, you know, Mizzou fans and Mizzou Nation will find out what their role is. Well, uh, I'll, I'll let you keep that as much under wraps as, as, as you want. And thank you for the tease. And people will be able to tune into your social media or whatever and find out whatever you're talking about, whatever that is. I won't harp on it. Uh, but going forward, I mean, right before, and I talked about it a little bit, but going right before COVID hit, you were playing for the St. Louis Battlehawks. What was it like playing in the XFL and, I mean, just – I mean, representing a professional team in the state of Missouri. Uh, definitely being, you know, it was great to be here in Missouri. The Battlehawks fans embraced me just so as they did when, when I was a Tiger. I think a lot of the Battlehawks fans were Mizzou fans. And so it was wonderful for me, you know. It was right back at home for me, you know. And to go in that dome, which is where I played my first game in college ball, and to, to go in the dome when the Battlehawks first opened up was insane. The atmosphere was second to none. Um, 
And I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss, you know, just playing ball in general, honestly. But I know I'm going to be around the game in some aspects. Um, I think that's a, uh, um, always going to be great for me because I love the game. I love giving back. So I want to do something that ties both together. And I think this new role that I'm in um, helps me do both. You kind of—I kind of wrote a story about it, right? Kind of as you were playing with with Marcus Lucas, but it says you guys were like when the same tunnel coming out against Illinois, just to be—how surreal it was the moment just to reunite with him and just to be back in the dome and just—was was that the most surreal part of it for you, or was it something else? No, I think I think that's what it was. You know, like me and Marcus came in, you know, his freshman year. He's a year younger than me, but I embraced him because I redshirted as well. So pretty much we spent our time together at Mizzou. And then, you know, like I say, six years we both went around our ways of the world in every different aspect. And, you know, I think he's played for about ten teams. I was on a part of, like, seven teams at some point. And it, it's been a crazy ride for us both. And I think that was the rewarding point, part in it all, that we can, you know, line up on the same side of the field again and just practice together. We was also roommates. Um, and, and, and those are memories that you'll never get back, you know, and it makes the hard days better. Um, and those are the things that you'll miss, you know, and, and, and that was good that I got a chance to share the field with him, you know, one last time before I called it a, a complete quit. Now that you're kind of just looking forward into your just, I guess, getting back into, I guess, without football actually playing, but staying as a part of the game. You know, I know you had experience kind of coaching, I believe it was West Middle School, am I correct? You were the head football coach there for a little while, or maybe still are? Very, very true. I, I still am, both. Both, I am. I am. What, what, what was, I mean, obviously you, you learned from a great coach, Coach Pinkle, but what, what, what would you say, you know, your time actually as a coach, Coach Washington, was like? Honestly, it's, it's like one of the most rewarding things. I think last year I took the job you know, because I kind of needed something to do in my downtime. And to see the impact that, you know, those boys had on me and that I had on them, especially at a school like West to where they, they hadn't won a game in four years and last year won the city championship. And I'm still talking to these kids, and they still keep in contact. We all have a group message just checking in on each other. And it's 13-, 14-year-old boys that are going through a pivotal time in their lives. And, and some of these kids live in parent households to where, you know, they're not the only child, but mom's working two or three jobs. And to, to have, you know, kids like that, and I know that struggle to, you know, I can help them out. And not just, you know, football and have to fall in love with the game that I fell in love with, but also to change the, the course of their lives forever. And hopefully that I can be an impact in their lives forever. I don't think it was a one-season deal. What, what high school does uh, West feed into? West feed into, feed into uh, Hickman. And Coach Alvis is super great, and I think that program is on the ups. Um, and a lot of high schools around the area have offered me jobs, but I, I really like what I was doing at West. And now that I've taken on my new role, I think um, I made the, the right choice. I won't, I won't ask you about your new, your new role at all, but you know, is there a timeline for when people should expect or tune in to whatever social media you got to make sure they know what you're talking about right now? Um. I don't know, maybe. I mean, I, it, I don't think it's really a secret. I just think it hasn't been um, said, and I don't, you know, I just like what I'm doing. I, you know, I, I I joke a lot on Twitter, so I don't really want to put it out there just now. Um, I think January, I'll be in a role come January for probably the last six months, but I think January, once a lot of stuff is, like, redone um, and, 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 and stuff like that, I think mm-hmm. that would be the time to announce it. But right now, don't want to be a distraction or anything. Just want to do my job and continue to carry those duties. Gotcha. And, and you know, that, that sounds that sounds pretty good. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But just, I guess, going back to your playing days at Mizzou, obviously you, you were you were there when they switched from the Big 12 to the SEC. You were there for several good teams. But what do you when you look back on your actual playing days under Coach Pingo, what do you remember most? Honestly, I think I just remember the brotherhood. It's crazy now that, like, how, like, Henry Josie and Marvin Foster, Michael Sam, Marcus Lucas, Buzz Sasser, Jimmy Hutt, Dominique Hamilton, uh, Doc Quee Smith, Kip Edwards, Jarrell, like, I can go on for days. 
because, like, those are all brothers. And, like, we were all so close. Sean Weatherspoon, Denario Alexander, Jerry Perry, Blaine Gabbert, James Franklin. Like, it's not, you know, it's no coincidence that, like, we had Coach Finkel run a successful program because we all were brothers. And so the, the thing that I would miss is that just being around those guys. We all communicate and talk all the time. And I think we – not that we took it for granted, because I think we utilized it all, but we didn't know. Like, you, you thought those days would last forever. And now that they're gone, but even when I'm in Houston, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going out to eat with a Michael Sam or a Henry Jones. If I'm in Dallas, Texas, I'm going out to eat with a Kendall Lawrence or a Donovan Bonner or a Jacque Smith, you know. So no matter where I go in the world, I got brothers there from, you know, I built from my Mizzou family. And, and those are things that I remember and that'll last forever. Mine is the championship year, and I, I was talking to uh, Richard Miller yesterday, um, had a chance to talk to him, who's a big-time uh, donor at the University of Missouri, and he was telling me how he thinks that 13 team is the best team that he witnessed in uh, Mizzou um, history, and he had his reasons why. You know, I just kind of listened to him, but I, I would agree with him 100%. So, the, of course, things like that. A lot of eyes go to that as Go to that 07 team, obviously, with, you know, being as close as they were to being in the BCS title game. But that 13 team, too, was, I mean, they, they definitely had, uh, you just listed those guys, and obviously you know way better than I do. Uh, right, but we was we was just as close because if you if you think about it, we're actually, we, we, for one, I think we should have beat Auburn. But, you know, that goes back to, you know, some, some scheme and defensively, whatever was, was going on. But, um the winner of that Mizzou-Auburn game goes to the national championship to face Florida State. I mean, and I don't think, you know, that's any secret. And Auburn actually goes and they're winning, you know, against Florida State up until the last play when Kevin Benjamin catches the slant. So I don't think, you know, we had no slouches. I mean, especially a team like that where Michael Sam and Coney Easley was done and the backups was, you know, Marcus Golden and Shane Ray. Um, I think – Offensively, that 017 was probably a little bit better, but we had some guys too, Harry, Josie, Doriel. I mean, our whole offensive line pretty much are in the league and went to the league. And then, you know, we had a pretty strong defense too. I think that's what kind of separates us from that team is that I think defensively we had a better defensive team than that team. Fair, fair, fair enough. I, I think that would be an interesting discussion for you guys, for those two teams kind of to have together and just to rehash all memories. That would be a great thing for you guys to do. But – just now, now, kind of coming forward. Obviously, I know you, you've been a little bit on social media, and you've been, you know, a little bit. Just for me, it's the one practice I attended and got to attend before they kind of shut down. Not, not, you know, the media wasn't allowed to go. Was you were at that one practice for Mizzou football under Coach Shrinkwood. So, just your impressions kind of come in. What he's been able to do in his first ten months on the job. What 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 are your impressions of Coach Drink and the job he's been able to do? Uh, you know, first you just want to know how a guy handles adversity, right? That's that's period. Any leader at any job or any any it doesn't matter. Whatever you're doing, you want to know that your leader can handle adversity. And you're talking about a year. You know, like Coach Pinkle talks about it all the time. Adversity. Who can handle adversity? How do you overcome it? And and that's the same. That's true to our lives too. But you think about the spring ball. You think about the summer ball. He's going to have games. Not have games. And being the first year coach. I mean, and, you know, to handle it all, especially with all the social justice issues and everything that's going on right now, that's tough for a first-year head coach when you hadn't even had more than three practices, you know, because I think they had two or three, whatever, in the spring, and then you got to face all these social justice issues as well. When you haven't really been in front of your team that much, and I think he handled it with class. I think he handled it the correct way. It just to show what kind of guy he is. He assembled a great coaching staff. Um, Coach Hamden, who's the receiver's coach, was a OC last year at Washington. Coach Looper was an OC as well at TCU. Um, and, of course, on the defensive side, Coach Walters and most of those guys have been around Mizzou already. Uh, I just think they're doing a tremendous job. They're handling everything the right way, and I think Coach Drake is the guy for the job. Um, I definitely I definitely believe that. Uh, that was LaDainian Washington, former Mizzou wide receiver. Uh, where can people find you on social media? I know you teased something big coming up just so people who want to stay in touch with you and know what that is and all its detail, where can they find you and where can they find whatever that would end up being? I'm on Twitter. I think I, I usually joke around, so a little bit of humor if I tweet. Um, and definitely coming from, I think it's Mizzou, Monstar, DOS, DOS, I believe. I, I have no clue. I made that thing so long ago. <laughs> but I'm definitely on Twitter. I'm definitely active on Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'm not that funny. really don't post that much, but definitely Twitter. Get that a follow. That's where you can find me. 
All right, one final question for you. I, I ask it usually of all the guests we kind of come uh, that have been living in Columbia long term. If you're going out to eat in Columbia, where's the one place? Where's your, where's your favorite spot? What did Damian Washington go to spot in Columbia to eat? My favorite spot? Uh, truly, right right now I'm on a Kobe's kick. Um, although it does hurt my pockets. Now, if I'm looking for bang for my buck and to get the most of my meal, I'm definitely going to Murray's, no doubt about that. So definitely Murray's is a must. But, you know, if I'm lately, I don't know why I've been on the Hibachi kick going to Kobe's. But Murray's, Murray's for sure. Clear cut. All right, once again, thank you to Damien. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're having a busy travel day, but you took some time to speak with us. Thanks so much for the time, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to catch up with you soon. Sounds good. Have a good one. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Mizzou Sports Podcast. University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast. And thank you once again to LaDamia for joining us on this week's Missouri Sports Podcast. Always great to catch up with him. Has a great personality, and I met him soon after moving to Columbia. He's always treated me with a ton of respect. Thank you for, you know, it was obviously he was in a car traveling, so thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us on this week's Missouri Sports Podcast. Before I go any further, follow Mizzou Football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at Columbia Tribune slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today, and the Columbia Zaxby's location is on Stadium Boulevard in North 63. I got through that without any hesitation that time. Lunch. There we go. And I went to Zaxby's again last week before the uh, Bears-Colts game, and I uh, absolutely loved it. Got a wings and things. Uh, always got the. Always make sure you get the uh, fried mushrooms, and it was a great night. And actually, after our food talk last week with Langston, I did get to try the marty's wings they're legit still the third best in town but they are legit they're they're great but i still give the edge to d rose and then if you're looking for more of a sauced hot buffalo wing you go to you go to cj's something that you know made my heart warm when uh, you told me about getting the wings you were like for the cost it's the one of the best wings in town and i was like that's what it means a lot to me it just yeah. makes me think of being in college being absolutely broke and i was like i can go and get some solid wings for 10 bucks oh absolutely you do the one for one apps at the heidelberg like that was best bang for your buck. I'd actually probably would give it to the Heidelberg because you get twelve for I think sixteen or fifteen bucks at D Rose and CJ's based on how many you get. But you get like eight bucks, you get seven wings. That's 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 a deal you can't beat. But uh, kind of getting back into the basketball talk or basketball and football talk here, let's kind of break. You were there against LSU. I was there. What were your overall thoughts about that upset? And I mean, it, my first thought was that wow, you got Vanderbilt coming in. This weekend, after two straight 41 to seven performances, they they lost to LSU 41 to seven and lost to South Carolina 41 to seven. And now Mizzou, who just put up 45 against that same LSU team, they're coming here with no offense. The Sarks had to be circling a little bit, looking forward to going two and two, going to Florida. Now you get them December 12th. What were your kind of thoughts, Langston? Uh, my thoughts, kind of leaving the stadium, was wow, the difference that you know Missouri's offense looked. Um, under Coach Drinkwitz and, you know, under Connor Bazelak starting, you know, his first game this season, had a completely different feel, more creative, uh, more explosive than I think Missouri fans have seen in the last few years, especially under Derek Dooley as the offensive coordinator. But kind of taking a step back and continuing to watch games that night, it's hard not to, you know, not to think to yourself, was Missouri's offense just extremely explosive and Connor Bazelak really efficient? Or is LSU's defense just really, really bad? Because, you know, I got a chance to watch that Mississippi State-Kentucky game where, you know, the Bulldogs lost 24-2 to and K.J. Costello threw four interceptions and no touchdowns. I mean, it watching that game and seeing the way that Kentucky was able to, to kind of basically shut out Mississippi State and then going back and, and looking at some of the highlights against LSU, this LSU defense might just be terrible. But kudos to Missouri for kind of taking advantage. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And one thing that I've kind of noticed is 
regardless of how that defense performs, you still got to put up points. Mm-hmm. And in the most important moment of that game, Missouri's defense absolutely stepped up. And you look at that goal line stand, and I think that might be. You mentioned it. You know, it was maybe Missouri's win, best win in a couple of years. I had a hard time going back to the entire Odom era for a win that meant more. So, and obviously, it didn't happen in 2015 with how that 2015 Tiger team went. So, you go back to 2014, maybe that win over Arkansas, which would clinch them getting back-to-back SEC title games. It's probably since then. And then I was also looking it up, and it's the uh, the highest-ranked opponent they've beaten at home. I think it's since that win against Oklahoma in 2010. You know, they hadn't beaten a ranked team at home since I think they beat both Florida and Texas A&M, the Henry Josie game, uh, at home since 2013. But an opponent that high, I mean, Oklahoma was number three in the country in the AP, but number one in the BCS for that win in October of 2010, which actually the the 10th anniversary, which is actually next Friday. Uh, Maybe a story coming up in the Tribune. I don't know about that. Uh, But just looking at what this win could do, obviously in the short term, this win is a good thing. But we could look back on it would I guess it would be October tenth, two thousand and twenty, as maybe one of the important days of the Eli Druquitz era. Obviously, that would mean that more upsets like that are coming. But it it just I think it was in my lead in game number three of the Eli Druquitz era. He matched the amount of wins Barry Odom got against ranked opponents in his tenure. Obviously, you know different. There's different times and different tenures and different things to look at. But it's it's just a good sign of things to come that this could happen and you know no one would have looked at them or blamed them if they had lost that game at the end of the day i'm one of those people that thinks lsu is actually better than what they've showed so far this season at the end of the day you can lose all that talent but lsu is just so deep at every position to the point where yeah they lost a ton but they have still four and five star guys at every position coming back and that doesn't really matter all that much so kudos to Missouri for getting it done and especially under the circumstances where they had I think six guys out due to COVID and two more with injuries and three of those were starters and Kiki Chisholm, Dame Hazleton and Kobe Whiteside so kudos to you know Mizzou for that one for sure yeah definitely I mean Connor Bazelak got you know the headlines after the game because he put up 406 yards and four touchdowns but I mean when you go back to that last defensive stand you had Joshua Bledsoe and Nick Bolton make big time plays there down the stretch to secure that win and like you said you know Missouri overcame its own you know obstacles to the COVID-19 protocols and injuries and things like that and they found a way to get it done and I do agree with you to a certain extent I don't think this LSU defense is good but if LSU if that game between LSU and Florida was still being played this weekend it easily could have been an LSU win and it could have even bolstered you know Missouri's uh you know outlook you know heading into next week against Florida you know with an LSU team that they just beat beating Florida this week so it everything could have changed if the games were being that were scheduled were actually going to be played this weekend so it's uh it's a huge stepping stone for this program and anyone who you know wants to diminish that or say it's fluky is incorrect it's it was a huge win and you know the first really big win and the first win period in the uh, Elijah Drinkwitz era. Yeah, for Eli Drinkwitz, it, it's it's he was rather coy after the game. Like, yeah, this one was about our players, and this one was about just more about like what we're doing than you know than it being a payoff for us. But you know, I, you know, you could just see on his face how just happy he was, and you know, I think he said it on Feinbaum on Monday, and it was true that like you know he knew that his daughter was was happy to see him when he got home because they knew he wouldn't be pissed off after a loss, and just that's that's all it says about uh, the head coach right there. Kind of looking forward though. Do you think that Missouri has a good problem at wide receiver now with how that, without three of their top guys, you know, yes, Jalen Knox is kind of the one layover from both, but do you think that there's a good problem that they have so many guys that are talented or more that was more them just the LSU defense? being bad i think it's a combination of both first thing it seemed that the missouri wide receivers really did fix the drop problems that the tigers had against tennessee so that's a huge positive you know heading into the the next game for missouri and two i mean it's always a positive when you have guys come off the bench and you know are able to um to produce right away but I think that's more of just a sign of how comfortable Connor Bazelak was in that offense and the way that he was able to just do things that Sean Robinson just simply wasn't able to do in those first two games and I think the performance from Bazelak and you know elevating uh the players on the outside it, it that's really the story I I, I, I agree there uh, I, and one of the things that stood out to me was just how good Terrace Marshall is for LSU 
I mean, I remember watching against uh, Alabama and seeing Jalen Waddle. I'm like, I'm not going to see a better wide receiver this year in person. And Terrace Marshall's absolutely on that level. I mean, I still think Jalen Waddle probably has him by a hair. But, man, that guy from LSU, after being teammates with Justin Jefferson and Tyler Boyd and, you know, other – I'm probably forgetting a guy, just how good the, those wide receivers were. And, obviously, Joe Burrow was behind center last year. Just they have not missed that much Ruby on that side of the ball. It, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see just that offense still working hard. And it, it's crazy to think that, you know, LSU is without – who probably would have been the best wide receiver in the nation, Jamar Chase. That's what I was writing, Jamar Chase. And, and it's like, you think about that, I mean, obviously he opted out to prepare for the NFL draft, but just think about that game from a zoo perspective. If Jamar Chase was on the opposite side of Terrence Marshall, it's completely just bonkers to think that they have that type of talent. And, you know, and kind of picking back on what you said, I mean, that's why a win over LSU with as much talent as they have has to be celebrated. For, for sure. Now... We're looking kind of forward, but it's not exactly sure the next time Mizzou is going to play, which is odd to say in the month of October that we don't know. Um, at the end of the day, this time last year, and the game was on, I want to say, the 19th of October, that Vanderbilt game last year. This At this time last year, Missouri was 5-1, and one, number 23 in the country, and just how different the talk is literally this time last year. You know, this is before, you know, the five-game losing streak that's about to happen, you know, just... It's crazy thing about just this is the crux right here. This is the week one year ago where everything started to fall apart. I was thinking about that earlier today. It's just like wow, how much the Mizubi has just changed in one year. And, and obviously, you've spoken in the past about how you're a huge fan of Barry Odom and <laughs> just things like that. But it, it's just weird to think about, regardless of how everything has transpired. But this is this is the week right here where I left for Nashville. I think. A week from it would be Sunday, and three three days from now, recording this on Thursday the fifteenth. Just how crazy things have gotten since then. But now looking forward to this season, do you think that going forward this Missouri team is going to show better offensively, or was this more so them playing LSU? If they play Florida, Florida's got a good defense, but they let in against thirty five against Ole Miss, and they let in forty one against Texas A and M. Do you think that you'll see better from this Missouri offense going forward, and how much of that is? Connor Bazelak, or where do you attribute that to? Him? I, I think for starters, when it comes to play calling, you've got to think three games into the season that Coach Drinkwood still has a lot of the playbook to show and a lot more creativity that you know is hidden in this offense that they'll call throughout the rest of the season. So I do think the offense will improve. And you know, just as Connor Bazelak, he, you know, he made his first start last Saturday. He's only going to get more comfortable, and, and the wide receivers are only going to get more comfortable with him, you know, during the rest of the season. Now, are they going to put up the gaudy numbers that they? Play up against LSU every week? No. But I do think we are going to see a more efficient, more creative version of what we saw in week one and two with Sean Robinson starting. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because Sean Robinson, we thought, would be such a dynamic piece of this offense. And it's like Connor Bazak comes in and just moves the ball. I mean, it's one start. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but off of one start, things look awfully promising. And the thing that was most impressive to me wasn't necessarily the stats. Where was the hole in his game on Saturday? What did he do that defense can look at? Okay, we can exploit that. Where was that? The incomplete passes because DBs were well guarded. That's something that's coached. But, you know, where was the bad throw? Where was the big mistake against Tennessee? He came in in the second quarter but had those mistakes you could pick apart. If you were in LSU, they didn't take advantage. Where is it? And, you know, I, and I don't want to harp on the struggles of, you know, Sean Robinson in the first two games of the season. But one thing that really kind of stood out to me watching that LSU game is, you know, Sean Robinson talked about, you know, limiting negative plays and holding on to the ball too much against Alabama. Basics getting the ball out quickly and efficiently and that's the biggest difference that I saw it seemed like he he had his drop back or you know got got the ball in shotgun made his read and got the ball out efficiently and quickly and that's all you can really ask especially with a young quarterback is just make his read make a decision and you know you throw the ball accurately and that's everything that Bazelak did on Saturday yeah I, I agree and one of the things I think coming into the game was that Missouri was going up against a great secondary in LSU with Derek Stingley Jr. Jacoby Stevens you know they had Grant Delpit last year but that was a group that just shut down everybody last year and they seemed a little bit irrelevant on Saturday it was it was it was nuts I, I, I would not have predicted that I could not have predicted that and that's what happened that's how upsets happen and that's ha- and that's a credit to 
whoever on the Missouri offense just beyond Eli Drinkwitz and, you know, Connor Bazelak really made a team effort, you know, to really get that done. And I, 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 I don't want to move on before shouting out the Missouri offensive line because in the trenches against Tennessee, they the, were the defensive line and offensive line struggled and a much better showing against LSU. Now, a part of that is based like getting the ball out earlier, but obviously the offensive line from Missouri really kind of dominated in the trenches against LSU. And, you know, I always got to take time to shout out the big boys up front because they don't get a lot of love. They, they don't, and we definitely picked them apart when they played bad against Alabama and Tennessee, so fair enough there. you know. And, and some of those injuries we mentioned with you know Darius Robinson and Kobe Whiteside being out, Missouri played and rotated really with no positions, five or six defensive linemen throughout the game, and yet they and, – and yes, you look at the, the 41 points they gave up, it's like, well, Missouri's defense didn't play great. That's true. They didn't play great against LSU, but you have to keep in mind 17 points were off of turnovers, and then you have Miles Brennan and Terrace Marshall on the other side they're going to make plays. I mean, at the end of the day, you have a five-star future NFL quarterback on one side and then Terrace Marshall, who's one of the best wide receivers in the country. So you just, they're going to burn you a little bit. So taking those two things out against an average team, there's some things to work with for this Missouri defense for sure. And exactly. And, you know, I think something that fans at home need to kind of realize and kind of accept is the days of the SEC where it's Alabama beating LSU 6-3, to three, those are over. Offensive football has changed and evolved. So just looking at the points uh, Missouri gave up 41 doesn't really tell the story of the game. It's, you talked about the turnovers and the short fields that LSU had. Giving up 41 points for as well as Miles Brennan played and as well as Terrence, Terrace Marshall played. The defense made plays when it needed to, and they got the win. So that's what you need to look at, not just the points, because the points, they don't tell the complete story there. I'll agree. And so we, we still don't know exactly when Missouri is going to play next. We hope it's against Florida, but we'll probably bring that to you next week. If not, if nothing else goes wrong, it'll be Kentucky on Halloween, and then Missouri's traditional bye week, which is November 7th. So I wish we could tell you and, and really look forward to some games here, but this is still in the COVID era. And if Langston wants to go on Twitter and just see, is anything has any no, news broken since we've we, we've been filming this? So we're not completely out of line. I mean, it just it seems like because yesterday I was on the radio with KTGR and the Saban news broke in the middle of my segment, and I'm just listing a bunch of things. And then Matt Michaels from KTGR literally goes, "Did you mention Nick Saban?" And I'm like, "Nick, but what about Nick Saban?" And then he broke the news to me. So. There's some interesting, interesting times here in college football where it, it, it's just so fluid, all the changes. I mean, you think about, I mean, on Missouri's regular schedule, if they had stayed with the one that was designed a couple years ago, I think it's Georgia coming here this weekend, and then we would have just gotten back from Salt Lake City seeing BYU. That seems like a millennium ago. I mean, I would have loved to go to Salt Lake City, but anyway. Yeah, it's crazy because there are so many people, high-profile people, including the, you know, the president of the United States who have caught COVID-19. But when I saw the Nick Saban news, it was completely caught me off guard because when I think of Nick Saban, and, you know, I've been watching him on Saturdays for most of my life, I think of a man who, you know, to the letter of the law will do anything to take care of himself and, and his players to get the job done on Saturdays. To see him, you know, get COVID-19, it was it was just it was the same kind of shock and awe that i had when you know i found out that you know president trump had it it's like how does this happen and then you remember it's 2020 anything can really happen now and and it will be interesting to see you know what happens moving forward with the alabama program i don't want to get into the politics side of things but those are two different cases it's not a shocker that trump got it um just from his tone and rhetoric and that's not me stating any political stance it's just it's it, he has not taken the necessary precautions from his own administration well nick saban has you know that's that's a matter of fact i think it was more shocked by nick saban to be honest with you after how it's been in the news with trump oh people aren't turning out because of political stuff but that's that's just stone cold fact of just you look at what he did with the, the rally in tulsa and just it's not like nick saban's out there not wearing his mask we saw him in person against missouri he was doing everything correctly and you know, just it, it, and you look at the rhetoric of of Saban's tone with that press conference yesterday, and how he's kind of saying mask wearing is important and all that. It's a little more shocking to me what kind of happened to him, but I mean, it, it, I mean, you look at even Les Miles who has it right now, the Kansas head coach. I mean, the fourth and fifth oldest head coaches in college football right now have COVID, and they're quarantining it, and it's a disease where, you know, they're they're one year and two years away respectively from being in the in an at risk group just because of their age. We don't know any particulars about their health but i mean just, just straight off of their age they're 
right on that, you know, having essentially a pre-existing condition just based off of their age. That's crazy. And I'm so happy you brought that up because when we talked about, you know, having football during this fall, you know, in the weeks leading up to the season on this podcast, we focused a lot on the players and obviously we should. They don't get paid and they kind of get the raw deal out of this playing in this situation. But the coaches are at risk themselves and you talked about it. They're so close to being in that zone where COVID-19 could really, really impact the rest of their lives or potentially take their lives from them. So to see Nick Saban get it, it was just like, you know, we we want to tell ourselves that, you know, 18 to 22 year old old men play football. They'll be able to survive this disease and to survive this virus. But when I saw Nick Saban got, I was like, oh, my goodness, this could potentially kill him. And, you know, first go out to him and his family. But I was like, it was a shock. Yeah, I, I agree. And and so looking at, the, I think, the five SEC matchups that are actually happening this weekend, the biggest one is absolutely Georgia-Alabama. And still the stat exists where I think Nick Saban is 21-0 against his former assistants. And now he has the perfect excuse if Georgia beats them this weekend that he wasn't actually <laughs> going to be there. Uh, and I think, I, I, but I still think Alabama probably wins that game. But uh, Georgia, I think Georgia might cover. That's going to be a field goal type game. I don't even know what other games are taking place this weekend. Off the top of my head, I've been so out of the loop. Just I can look it up real quick, but I've just been so out of the loop just because of how just Missouri's been in the news and everything like that. We can talk a little bit of basketball while I try and find uh, all of those games going on. But you know, we talked to Conzo Martin the other day. Uh, his first, you know, their first practice Mizzou men's basketball uh, of the season. Um, you know, we and then we got Mark Smith, Drew Smith, Xavier Pinson, and Jeremiah Tillman after. It just looks like a group who, you know, is obviously the the opposite of what what a Kentucky team is this year. You, you just a veteran team where eighty eight percent of the minutes played are coming back. I think somewhere like eighty two percent of its scoring is coming back. I mean, in a pandemic era, if, if the stars don't align here from Missouri to make a run of whatever the NCAA tournament looks like, I mean, it, I, I'd be a little shocked. I mean, so, they haven't gained a lot of national attention, but I mean, should a Tillman and a Pinson and the Smiths stay healthy, this team has has plenty of tools to go towards you know the top group of the conference. I don't think still what the recruits to Tennessee and Kentucky have coming in where they can't win a conference title. I don't think that's in their realm, but fifth fourth in the sec is not out of the question for this team the expectations for coach martin and the expectations for coach drinkowitz are completely flipped you know you go into the fall with a you know crazy off season installing a new season i mean a new system you know fans had to expect there to be some you know bumps along the road as as drinkowitz really kind of took control of this program the expectation for coach martin you've got an experienced team coming back i mean obviously their off season a little bit different but they've been in the system for a number of years now it's time to win and there are expectations and there should be expectations for missouri to make the uh, march madness this season it's just that simple yeah and we don't know what it'll look like if they do 68 teams and con and cons even you know kind of mentioned that like how do you you know in the world of changing things you know how, how do you determine who the best 68 teams are you know it, it, it's an interesting thought and you know, I can't see it as uh, circumstantial as the outbreak takes a huge kind of steep turn, which we haven't seen. I mean, case numbers are still rising, and we haven't seen any type of sh- sports shut down at this point yet. I can't see enough, the second year in a row where we cancel and say March Madness. A lot of the things that came up that week of March in March 2020, still this year, wow, this, this year has been a whole decade by itself. But I can't see a scenario unless something comes out where the scientists got it wrong the entire year and we need to just go back under state home orders the entire year so we can look forward to a march madness tournament in 2021 i i think coming up uh but with that said you know we haven't talked to the women's team yet that should be coming up soon uh you know just and and from my overall expectations of mizzou men's basketball it's the easy comparison to look at how barry odin was treated how eli Drinkwitz is being treated and then the differences with conzo martin and is this a win or he's on the hot seat type year for him? That's an iffy question because not only monetarily, but in terms of the other efforts going on, like if he has a Kim Anderson year, he's absolutely on the hot seat, but he hasn't had that type of year yet. And you can say just as much as Barry Odom got a raw deal at Mizzou, there is no doubt Conzo Martinez had gotten a raw deal at Mizzou. He has yet the three players that has have been the center points of his off-season offensive development he has not had for more than a majority of the season going in mike porter played three games his first year here jonte played zero and then jeremiah i think played 14 last year and was injured 
for most of conference play. And you saw kind of the team pulling everything together and looking really good in that game against Alabama, which the last game they played that year where they dominated Alabama, but then they never played that, I guess, SEC opening round game against Texas A&M where they lost. So we haven't seen the to the full extent a Conzo Martin team playing the Conzo Martin style at Mizzou when he's in year four. At the end of the day, yes, you can look at how that freshman year team with the freshman Jeremiah on it still made the NCAA tournament before losing to Florida State with a Cassius Robertson. And, and you know, was, was that Jordan Barnett's senior year? Or am I just losing it? Yes, that was the year that Barnett missed the uh, NCAA game. Yep. Right. And then a, a, a sort of healthy Mike, a healthy Jonte, a healthy Jeremiah, and some other pieces, a uh, healthy Kevin Purrier, other players like that. Is that Cullen Van Leer as well? Yes. So... Just you, you, you look at that and that and that so many things that go wrong, but Missouri still looks really good. So I think that, you know, this is a year where Conzo has high expectations, but that's only off of what is expected because of the roster he has coming back. In, in a pandemic, you have eighty eight percent of your minutes returning to the team. That's a luxury that most coaches in this country do not have. All right, just some I know this is a longer episode, but going off of some the SEC picture of the week, then we'll get you out of here. Uh, Auburn at South Carolina. Auburn's favored by three and a half. I have Auburn. How about you, Langston? Auburn, three and a half. Easy. Kentucky at Tennessee. Tennessee favored by six. I will be taking Tennessee. I'll be taking uh, Kentucky to cover there. Ole Miss favored by three on the road against Arkansas. I am taking Lane Kiffin after nearly knocking off Alabama. Uh, Ole Miss, and it's insane that this line is only minus three for Ole Miss. I know. Absolutely. That makes zero sense there. It's probably changed on BetMGM since the picks were made on Tuesday for the USA Today Network. Texas A&M featured, uh, featured, favored by six and a half at Mississippi State. I have Texas A&M in that game. Taking Texas A&M. It um, seems like yeah. the SEC has figured out Mike Leach already. I'm not taking Mike Leach until further notice. Uh, LSU Florida is canceled, but Florida was a 13-point favorite going into that game. Missouri Vanderbilt is obviously canceled. Missouri on Tuesday was a 20-point favorite over Vanderbilt. And then Georgia, Alabama, Alabama favored by six. I am taking Georgia to cover, but Alabama to win. I will be taking Alabama to win and to cover. It just seems like Alabama has Georgia's number. And, you know, Kirby Smart, even though Nick Saban won't be there, uh, former Saban assistants don't beat Saban. Just that simple. Anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? Uh, Yeah. Thank you, Columbia, for continuing to wear your mask and continuing to social distance. We can do our part to make sure that Missouri continues to play football. And that's by, you know, uh, limiting our exposure and continuing to be safe. All right, for Lanks Newsom, I'm Eric Blum. Thanks for listening to this Pazoo Sports Podcast. Hopefully next week we are previewing Missouri versus Florida and they get the go-ahead to play. But whatever the case is, we'll be back. Thanks for listening to this week's episode.